All right, welcome to another podcast of BibleTruthOnline.com. And tonight we are continuing on with our Hebrews Bible Study Podcast Series. And tonight is chapter 10, chapter 10 out of Hebrews. So with the first verse, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of these things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, Make those who approach perfect. Of course, we've got to stop right there because there's a couple important points just on that first verse. First, with that shadow of the good things to come, the shadow is being cast of Christ. I know you have a good point on that, Pat, with uh, your shadow theory. When you turn around and you look at the cross, the cross turns around, so if you shine the light on it, would project a shadow. Those shadows going back into the Old Testament are all the laws, all the sayings of the prophets, all the little conditions of this or that. They all come forward. They're not real, but they all... You've got to follow the shadows all the way till you get to the real substance. The real substance is the cross. It's just like holding a pencil up and looking at the shadow. The shadows will lead you to the real item, which is the pencil, or the shadows of that we're talking about here, lead you to what is real, which is the cross. Mm-hmm. The second point in that second part of the verse is what are they talking about here, You know, which they offer continually year by year. They're talking about the Day of Atonement, when the high priest could only once a year enter the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifices for the people, and that, that's called the Day of Atonement. And he can only enter that Holy of Holies once a year to do so. That's what he's, they're talking about there. And from our earlier podcast, we, we just talked about how he brings in an atonement for the sins of the people. He brings in an atonement for his sins and for the sins of the people. Right. Yeah, in this particular verse too, uh, going back to chapter 9 also, in the context, it's talking about sacrifices. So specifically in a shadow that's being cast is the shadow of Christ's sacrifice. The substance being Christ sacrifice, the shadow being the sacrifice of the bulls and goats once a year. The animal sacrifice. Sure. The animal sacrifice is the shadow. The real sacrifice is Christ. Yeah. Moving on with verse 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. The first part of that verse, that's a good, a good question. The sacrifice did cease with the destruction of the first temple. And if it was perfect in making, if it was perfect in purifying the conscience of men, if it was perfect in taking away that sin, God wouldn't have allowed it to cease. Right. He wouldn't have allowed the temple to be destroyed. And it's, of course the temple is still destroyed. They haven't been able to make sacrifices at all. And that question is, so what about all these sins that have happened since the destruction of the temple. Yeah, not just the first temple, but the second temple is destroyed right. too. Yeah. They have no way to atone for their sins because of the ceasing of the temple and sacrifice. Verse 3, But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. And that's the day of the atonement. Mm-hmm. Verse 4, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sins. It's a very strong statement. Mm-hmm. It's funny because Paul, Paul being a ex-Pharisee, you know, and he's making a very bold statement there. The blood of bull and goats cannot take take away sin. Right. And the reason why they can't take away sin is the only thing that they can do is, like we talked about before, is cover up. 
cover up. They cover up, but in order to take away the sin, just like we talked about the John the Baptist saying the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, talking about Jesus, he can, he can take away because he becomes kin to man, he has the price, and he pays the, the price. Right. Okay, what we're talking about right there is from the book of Ruth, it's kinsman redeemer. If a person became so poor that they couldn't pay their debts, they, could, they would be sold into slavery. Now, that person who sold themselves into slavery could be redeemed, but not by themselves. It had to be done by a kinsman redeemer. There are three conditions for the kinsman redeemer. One, he has to be of kin. A stranger could not come in and redeem you. Two, he had to have the price. So whatever you were sold for that, that price that sold you into slavery, Redeemer had to have that price. In our case, we sold ourselves into sin because we broke the Ten Commandments. Okay? The Redeemer then would have to have kept the Ten Commandments. Okay? You, he also had to pay the price for what the person sold into slavery was there for. The price that person had to pay was death. That is why Jesus had to, one, be born of a woman, two, had to keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, but he also had to do that third part. He had to come and die because that was the penalty opposed on us. Now, Jesus not only had to be perfect, okay, but he also had to die, and more importantly, the Jesus of heaven never could have saved us because that third rule is he had to be of kin. That is why Jesus had to come down and become in the tent of flesh. Mm -hmm. That just brings you to the exact point he's talking about. Bulls and goats cannot be kin. There's no way a bull, a bull or a goat could be kin. So it can temporarily cover sin, but it can never fill that role of the kinsman redeemer. It can never take away that debt. Yeah. So moving on to verse 5. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, quote, and we'll be quoting... He being Jesus, becoming, he, becoming yeah. that, that kin. Um, then we're going to be quoting Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. Verse 8. I think there's a couple points there. Sure. In that verse 7. I think the first point is the volume of the book. What is that talking about? Mm -hmm. I think that's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. Any other comments? I mean, any other ideas? Of what <laughs> and then, of course, the do your will, O God. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Christ himself says, before he's about to um, become the sacrifice, he does the will of the Father. Yeah, that's, that's if I must die, yeah. it's your will, Father. He says that in the New Testament. So it's interesting, in, way back in Psalms 40, chapter 40, you have this in the Old Testament, this foreshadowing yeah. of what will be said. Well, yeah, I think the will, too, the will is the becoming man, the having the price, mm -hmm. okay, up until the point of the cross, he has to live a perfect life. He has to have, have that price. And then the next part of the will is it's the same three points of the kinsman redeemer. It's them paying the price. Right. And in, in, your, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, of course, we're speaking again about temple sacrifice. In the temple, uh, we just talked about the sacrifices of animals. Mm -hmm. But there's also a burnt offering. There's an altar with a screen on it that they used to um, burn offerings to, to God for, for sin, right, in verse 6. 
in bold statement, you had no pleasure. You know, it's a temporary covering. It can't eternally satisfy God's wrath. Right. And some of these other points will come out in just the next couple of verses here. Yeah. I could go on. So verse 8, previously saying, quote, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, in parentheses, which are offered according to the law. So he's talking about the ones according to the law of the animal sacrifices. Right. Remember those animal sacrifices, like we said before, they're the shadow. They're a shadow of what is coming forth in the time of Jesus. They're just leading up to. Yeah, it is not the true substance. It can't completely please God. It can't please his wrath. But also, any shadow leads to the real substance. So they do serve a purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Verse 9, then he said, quote, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. End quote. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. There are a couple parts in that. He comes to do your will. It's like a will and testament. It's a legal term. That will does not come into effect until the death. Now this first covenant here is made with the law. The law has come to show the body what it must do. Okay, But the second will, or the second covenant, is where Jesus comes and tells people they must be reborn. In order for that second covenant to take place, something has to die. All covenants start off with a blood covenant. Okay? If the first one is done for the body, the second one is done for the reborn man. And that reborn man is born of the Spirit. So that, that first covenant is taken away, it's nailed to the cross. The flesh, the yeah, body. The flesh, the, the sin part. The second one, it's, a, it's established by the shedding of his blood, but it's not brought into effect until the resurrection. It's like the cross takes away the first, the resurrection brings in the new covenant, the covenant of spirit and grace. It's a part we talked about in an earlier podcast where we were talking about Aaron's rod. Aaron's rod is a dead piece of wood. Okay, That's the first covenant. The second covenant is when that rod buds and comes back to life. Death and resurrection is what this is talking about. I think verse 10 will uh, confirm what we just said there. Verse 10, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That could be a whole sermon right there. Right. You know, it's once for all. You know, you you can't keep receiving forgiveness. Forgiveness is already imparted upon mankind once. You know, I mean, that that could be a whole sermon. We kind of... Talk about, about that a little more extensively in chapter 9. But it goes back to the Jesus yeah. Christ paid for all sins, past, present, and future. And yeah. It's one final sacrifice for all time. Well, there's another part with those two covenants, too. Yeah. If that first part is for the man, the law for the man, yeah. this second covenant is for the man who has died to himself and is being reborn of spirit. Now that man who is now no longer flesh, but is of spirit, what sacrifice can be made for him? Will if he's of spirit, can another death, can another sacrifice be done for him? Because he is no longer man; he is no. spirit. No, There's, he's not under the law, anyways. There, there is no sin. There's no sin for the spirit. Because once you once you've died in the flesh, you've died in the law too. That's the point. Yeah. And one little point I had there is just with the word sanctified. 
let me restate that verse with a definition of sanctified. I'm going to chop it in half. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all, we have been sanctified. Sanctified being set apart. Yeah, correct. So, it's, it's a good statement there. Through... Well, when you're baptized into that spirit, and you become in that body of Christ, the, the spirit places you in the body of Christ, then that's the baptism of fire, okay? You are set apart from the world. Right. You're no longer of the flesh. You're no longer of the rest of the world. You're in the world, but you're not of it. You're of Christ's church, right. Christ's body. Yep. Just wanted to bring light to the sanctity. That's, that's a good point. All right, verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Why? Because it's a covering. Yeah, we've already made that statement. You can't take away, you can only cover. Verse 12, But this man, man is capitalized, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. And we know this man is Jesus, who offered one time sacrifice, that sacrifice for sins, that's forever, past, present, and future, and is seated at the right hand of God. It goes back to that kinsman redeemer thing. It's the only one who qualifies in all three aspects. Mm-hmm. It's funny because the writer of Hebrews is actually playing off. He doesn't quote it, but he plays off of a verse from Psalms, a statement that Jesus also made too, mm-hmm. about the Lord said to my Lord, sit at the, my right hand so I make your enemies your footstool. He's not quoting it, but he is playing off, off of that. Jesus himself quoted it about himself. So I think, I mean... That's a pretty important, important verse. David said it, Jesus said it, and now the writer of Hebrews is telling you it. Mm-hmm. Verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And again, sanctified, in other words, set, set apart. Set apart you know, yeah. Or being made holy. Right. Verse 15. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is going to be taking... From Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33, quote, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, quote, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Yeah, that's, it's a new covenant that's taking place. You know, all the way back in Jeremiah he's talking about it. You know, just like the writer was saying earlier, why would there be a talk of a new covenant if the old is, is good enough. Right. You know. And to go into this second covenant, remember this is after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and this is where to come to him, you have to be like a child, you have to be reborn, and you're reborn into the spirit. You can only worship God in spirit. You can't worship him in the flesh. The spirit, once again, will not sin. And, yeah, it goes into the laws being put on the heart and, and, and mind. It's not that you follow the law constantly, you constantly memorize them in your head. That spirit's put inside of you. That spirit always follows the law. Well, the spirit is not a flesh. It can't sin. Exactly. So the sin that is remembered no more, that the body still does, it yeah. still does, is remembered no more because you're not of the body, you're of the spirit. Yeah. And also back in Jeremiah 2, back in an Old Testament book, it's a promise that sins and lawless deeds will be remembered no more. How is that accomplished? It's accomplished through Christ's sacrifice, which was for all sin. It's the gospel message like we've said before in the past. 
God is not against you. Right. Jesus took away the sins. He's no longer against you. You know, now it's your choice whether or not you want to receive that life. It's no longer an issue of sin. It's an issue of are you going to believe him and are you going to receive the life that he came to offer you? You know, you've got to, first of all, not just believe that you're a sinner, but you've got to believe that you're dead. You have two problems going on here. You know, you're not just a sinner. He took care of, of that part. Even though your sins are still paid for, you're still dead. Now, it's up to you to, to make a choice to choose life. That life comes through putting your trust in his death and re- resurrection. And that is the receiving of the baptism of fire that we talked about, receiving of the Holy Spirit. That is that life. Part, part of that, too, though, is back in that kinsman redeemer thing, that word kin. Mm-hmm. Kin is family. Yeah. You have to accept Jesus as family. That's if you accept him as a person, so what? That, that's not your kinsman redeemer. You have to accept Jesus as all part of his family. You have to be part of his family. That's a great part, too. And when you do that, you become spirit. You become family. Because God has spirit. You become family in spirit. In fact, that's how you become part of that family is by that spirit part. He became man. Now you have to become spirit. You can't tell. You can't make the Holy Spirit come to you. Okay? But when that Holy Spirit comes to you, you're spirit. Mm-hmm. You're a new creation. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. That, that's why you, the people who don't are convicted by the law. Mm-hmm. They, they still don't have a spirit. They're still hung on to that flesh. Everybody's spirit, everybody, I'm sorry, everybody's body still sins. Yeah. Okay? You're either moved off into the spirit, okay, where your sins are remembered no more, or if you haven't moved off in the spirit, then your sins are remembered. Yeah, that's the, you know, the, the, that's the point that most preachers and pastors never get, is that, what is the law for? Is it for the new creature, or is the law for sinful man? It's for sinful man. Exactly. But you, you have all these preachers out here teaching, Jesus plus follow the, follow the law. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's not the gospel message. The gospel message is, you die to, to, to the law, you no longer live under the law, you walk by the Spirit, you walk by grace, it's probably more of a system of control, like we talk about, to try to control the congregation. They don't trust that that spirit. But it's a false teaching, and it's sad that most of the Christian world has been blinded by that by that lie. You know, we have the Christians out there that see the Bible as the complete Word of God, and if it's the complete Word of God, then everything in the Old Testament, especially the Ten Commandments, must be followed. And I think Hebrews is a wonderful book that takes the writer of Hebrews his words, and tells you straight out that the law is not perfect, that it has not fulfilled anything, that it's been a temporary covering, and gives you the reason for why Jesus had to come here. So I think Hebrews is one book that goes against that, that common teaching that's out there that says, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ being my Savior, I must follow the law perfectly too. I mean, that's a conflicting message. Out of the book of Hebrews, it tells you it's a conflicting message. It's first covenant, second covenant. Right. You know, there's another point to that too, though. At the end, on that last day when Jesus takes us all away, he raises the dead. Okay? They're dead. Okay? They're not coming up with their body. Okay? But why do the ones who are alive at that point, they're changed in a twinkling of an eye? Okay? In that twinkling of an eye, they're dying. Mm-hmm. Because I tell you right now, that body is never going to get to heaven. Right. There will be no sin in heaven. 
it will not go up. Exactly. So verse 18, again, reinforces this uh, point. Now, where there is remission, remission or forgiveness, forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Okay. Verse 19, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, let me stop right there, enter the holiest, the holy of holies, where no man can go but the high priest once a year, and if you did enter that, you're struck dead. So, with the blood of Jesus as a once and for all sacrifice, this the whole temple thing's gone, mm-hmm. with boldness we can enter as family. Yeah. Yes. We yeah. don't enter as a as a trespasser. Right. We enter in as family. The exactly. Holy of Holies represents the presence of God and literally it, it represents where the presence of God is heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, you can all you can't enter into God's presence under the old old covenant. But now by the blood of Jesus, you know, the new covenant you can stand in, in the presence of God. Well, no man is ever going to enter God's presence. The only thing that's going to enter God's presence is spirit. Yeah. So you have to separate that off. The body of Christ. Yeah. The body of Christ, which is spirit, spirit yeah. will enter in. How can you tell a trespasser? Because he's still in the body. Yeah. He's not part of Christ. Mm-hmm. Verse, good. 20, verse 20, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil... That is his flesh, as opposed to an old and dead way. As as opposed to the veil that blocks yeah. the holy of holies, yeah. that you had to move to enter. Yeah. His flesh is that veil consecrated for us through his death. Yeah, his flesh had to be torn. The blood right. had to be shed, just like that veil was torn after he died. Verse twenty one, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It's funny, he's, trying to, he's kind of pointing out that Old Testament, uh, the uh, concept of the sprinkling of the blood. It's like, if, if, you're, not, if you're not familiar with the, you know, the, old, the Old Testament um, uh, symbolism and passages, it kind of doesn't, doesn't make, make sense, but you know, going through that process of purification, there's a sprinkling of blood, and then there's the wash of, washing with, of, of the water. Wash your hands, and there's the ceremonial cleansing. Right. He's almost playing that off as Christ did all that for us. You know, that full assurance of faith. You're sprinkled with Christ's blood. It cleanses you from your, your conscience. You've been washed and purified with that water. You know, it's, it's kind of a play on the Old Testament uh, rituals. Mm-hmm. And taking those rituals one step farther... That washing with the pure water is the same thing, same thing as your water baptism. Yeah. And that sprinkling of the blood is the process of getting you towards that fire baptism. Mm-hmm. I kind of see it too as what what uh, Jesus did symbolically when he was with his disciples and he washed their feet you know, just before he goes to the cross. And Peter says, you know, wash me all over. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're not going to wash, wash my feet. He says, well, if I don't wash you, I'm, you're not a part of me. And he says, well, they're not just my feet, but my whole, my whole body. He says, no, no, you don't need your whole body, but just, just, just your feet. And it's like he's saying that, there's, there's another verse in here too that says, talks about the washing of the word, of the word of God. And it's like, Jesus is the word of God. And I see it as kind of a cool thing of what he's doing there. showing you that he is the word of God. The word of God cleanses you, you know, 
it is Jesus. It's it's the Word of God, which is Jesus. It, it, it's both, you know. It's his teaching. It's the gospel. It's him. It's all of it. it if you if it doesn't wash you, if it doesn't clean you, you can't be a part of it. You can't receive the Spirit until, until you're clean first. Just an interesting point. Yeah. Verse 23, let us hold fast to confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Again, we have, we have hope that you know, there's a verse in uh, chapter 11, you know, substance of things hoped for to evidence of things not seen. And again, hope here without wavering. Jesus promises us things. We have faith in what he says in his word and why he came here, died, and became kin. For no man's seen God or seen heaven. That's what we hope for. And yet we've seen the resurrection. Right. Well, we haven't seen the resurrections. We have witnesses to those who have seen the resurrection. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it was a verse, uh, the Corinthians or Galatians, somewhere in there, it talks about, um, you know, the Holy Spirit being our guarantee of our salvation. You know, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We can be confident in our faith if you receive the Holy Spirit. You know, you once you receive the Holy Spirit, you're already in that kingdom. You're already in that, in that body of Christ. So you can be confident of your salvation because that's the Holy Spirit is your salvation. That, it, that becoming that new creation is what salvation is. Mm-hmm. You know, so you don't you don't have to be fearful of, you know, is this true? Is this, is this not true? If you've re- received it, then it's guaranteed. You you already have it. Well, well in fact, one way of getting that receiving the Holy Spirit tool that we use is the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Knowing scriptures reinforces that faith. It brings us to the point of the baptism of fire, which no man can control. Right, but but it's also said, I mean, if, if the word of God is true, then let's listen to his word. Mm-hmm. Faith cometh by hearing. Okay? That's reading the word of God. But hearing, being able to read the word of God, okay, faith cometh by hearing, but hearing by the word of God. Reading the word of God, which you may or may not be able to understand, mm-hmm. will bring you to a light of being able to understand. Right. Verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Yeah, the, uh, you know, the flesh wants to only consider itself, you know, but the spirit is considered towards each, each other. It's also a sign of maturity, you know. Mm-hmm. A child wants everything that it wants now, you know. A mature person, someone who's, you know, that's certainly the mind of God. It's, it's the, mind, the mind of the spirit, you know. And I think uh, as believers brothers and sisters that are believers in Christ too, the capacity of love is there and also to do God's good works. And we should go over a little bit about those good works because if we stop right now and remember that if we, we who have died to the flesh and are living in the spirit are here to bring out love and good deeds, good works. These good works are of the spirit. This is not helping the old lady across the street. This is not loving somebody in a fleshly manner. I can love and forgive somebody because even though that person has only sinned against me in the flesh, not in the spirit. Okay? What can their spirit do to my spirit? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay? I'm talking to the spirit of that person. I can love that person. I can do things that God has predestined for me to do in the spirit 
because they are the works of the Spirit. It's also talking about, I, I think, the good works. In the parable of the uh, sheep, and, sheep and goats, Jesus talks about, you know, the good works, the good things that, you, that you've done, are the things that you've done to my brethren. So as you're stirring up this love in the other members of the body of Christ, as you're gathered, the good works are the good things you do to your fellow Christian, you know, to your fellow brother or sister in Christ. To your family, yeah. your kin. It's that same story again. That's what that's what counts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not necessarily feeding the homeless guy who's, who's never going to come to Christ. Mm-hmm. There's no eternal re- reward for that. Because there's no glory. Yeah, yeah there's no gl- glory to God. It's not mm-hmm. helping I- anyone or anything. But doing that good work to the person that's in the family, that's something that's going to last for e- eternity. Mm-hmm. They're going to last for eternity. Yeah. The work will last for eternity. Yeah. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I'd like to take some time on this verse and talk about this, because a lot of people use the, this verse for going to church. Mm-hmm. Okay, we see that a lot. And what you have to step back and understand is that all Christians are the church. The body of Christ, the spiritual body of brothers and sisters, that is the church. So where any, where any two or more are gathered, that is church. Mm-hmm. Us sitting here doing this podcast, this Bible study, it's, it's a church service. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what he's saying is don't forsake assembling together and doing, stirring up this love and, and good works. But at this time that this is written, there is no churches. There are no church buildings. Okay. You know, people were met... There are no denominations. There are no denominations. Yeah. There are no buildings with names on them saying, Church of this. You know, it's people meeting in public places, people meeting in homes. Right. That's what this is talking about. The churches didn't come about till Constantine. You know, he makes a state-demanded uh, church, you know, where yeah. everybody must go. It's, it's something that comes along later and the Catholic Church picks it up and uses that for control. You're going to get the most grown and the most learning out of a small Bible study, you know, where you're seeking the work, seeking God and you're letting the Spirit speak to you and teach you and not just listening to, to some pastor or somebody. I mean, you can definitely learn by that way too, but the real growing process is going to be, going to be in this gathering t- together, doing Bible studies, doing things together, stirring these things up. It's not sitting at home being alone, and it's not thinking that you're going to learn by attending the largest church. Yeah, because a lot of people go to large churches, and they're alone. Yeah. They're not socializing. They're, they're, not, they're not fellowshipping. They go in, listen to a sermon, grab a cup of coffee, whatever, walk, walk out, and don't talk to anybody. Right. Yeah. That's not what this is talking about. So the next uh, couple of verses, I think I'm going to read verses 26 through 29 together, and then we have plenty of comments there. So verse 26, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the spirit of grace. 
So we'll go back and we're going to comment on several of these verses. First comment is on verse 26. If we could deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. Hang on to that for a second. Let's say let's re-say that verse. Those who have received the truth and sin will have no way to cover sin with an animal sacrifice. Old covenant, Old Testament. Remember this book's written to the Hebrews, point being, if you do not accept the truth of Jesus Christ, and you sin, there is no more covering offered. And and you want to you want to make yourself right with God. So you want to cover that sin. Okay? To cover that sin with animal sacrifice won't work anymore. Yeah. For the final and kin sacrifice is the blood of Jesus. Right. Yeah, there's two levels to verse 26 that I see is that <clears throat> there are no animal sacrifices, there are no sacrifices past Christ. That's that's one point. That's speaking to, to, to the Jew. Mm-hmm. I think speaking to the modern Christian today, there's also the level of, okay, you receive the knowledge of truth and you keep sinning. What does that mean? Well, the knowledge of truth is the gospel message. The gospel message is that Christ took away all the sin of the world. He paid that price. He rose again to bring you life. You sin against that knowledge of truth by not believing it. By saying it's, it, it's a lie, it's not true. Or by saying, I believe Christ, but I also believe I'm going to follow the law also. Okay, that's where the Catholic Church takes it. That's where a lot of um, Protestant denominations take it. Most of the Christian Christian uh, world follows that view that I'm going to follow Christ and follow the, the law. Sorry, that's un, that's unbelief. That's going back to verse 10 and, and verse 9. He took away the first, the law, and brought in the second, grace. Either you're following the first or you're following the second. You can't do, do both. You don't put new wine and old wineskins. Okay, you put new wine, the new covenant, in a new creation person, right. spirit-filled being. And we were, we were talking about that, in that new person, mm-hmm. that old person is that person of the flesh. Yeah. That new person, that new covenant person, that person of now, yeah. is the one who has been reborn. You can't be reborn until something dies. Yeah. Okay, you're, re, you're dying to you being able to do it. Yeah. You're spirit-filled in that he has to do it. Yeah. You're trusting, you're you know, you're running to the shelter of the mother bird. You're resting in him. Mm-hmm. So the point that I'm, that I'm getting at, if you sin against the knowledge of truth, the only sin left, if he's paid for all sin, the only sin left is the unpardonable sin, which is unbelief. There's no payment. Christ did not pay for un- unbelief. That's the only sin left. So there is no sacrifice for sins because Christ didn't do it. And no animal sacrifice can take that away. So if you don't accept the knowledge of truth, if you stay in your un, in your unbelief, the only sin left, sinning willfully, there's nothing else for you. Right. You're as you go on in verse 29, you, you're trampling Jesus. You're you know calling his blood a common thing. You're saying it's just as common as a, the blood of bull, bull and goats. You know you're saying you know Jesus is like the blood of bull, bull and goats. It's the same thing. Yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus and the law. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't work. And you're trampling the spirit of grace. You're not walking in, in grace. 
you're insulting it, saying, oh, I'm going to follow, follow the law. I'm going to follow my own good works. In verse... Uh, I'm sorry, you have one more comment there? Yeah, well, the last little comment is, if you've come to this knowledge, and you come to the part where you are reborn, and you are a spirit, the only sin that the spirit could have is disbelief. Mm-hmm. It can't physically sin. It doesn't fleshly sin anymore. The only sin left I don't disbelieve. And I don't think you can do it at that point. Yeah. Once you get to that point, I don't think you can do it. The spirit can't do it. Yeah, the spirit can't do it. So this is this is that part in between. If you're not sure, yeah. okay, you need to read more. Yeah. You need to get more of this story. Yeah. Okay? It's, it's like we were talking about like going to church. If you go to church and you hear 15 minutes on verses 1 to 19 of book 4, and the next week you go back and you hear three verses of book 19, 2 to 5, you're not getting the story. You're getting crumbs, okay? You need to get the whole cookie. You need to read more parts and understand exactly what's going on here. And there's a strong uh, curse almost stated here with anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy and the testimony of two or three witnesses, which is true. So how do you, how much more worse punishment do you suppose, as he says in verse 29, will be he was trampled on the Son of God, right? Has not taken the blood of the covenant seriously as truth? How much more serious will his punishment be? You're stepping outside the boundaries of the law into an unknown land that's not good. Okay? That's a very strongly worded statement there. There, There's people in the, there's a couple in the New Testament who sell off their house Mm -hmm. and bring the money into the new new first century church. Okay? And they turn around and they give part of the money and they tell them that they've given all the money. Instantly, the husband dies. Mm-hmm. Okay? He's not of that fleshy world where you get these kind of mistakes anymore. He's of the spiritual world. And in the spiritual world, don't go back and sin. Yeah. Okay? Now, he's been in the flesh. He died in the flesh. That man will probably still end up in heaven. Right. Okay. He sinned. He forfeited his earthly life. We sin today, and it it, can, it will have effect on you in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Okay. It has no effect upon you in the spirit. Oh, yes. Let's go back to that, that that last part. Insulting the spirit of grace. Let's take. Yeah, a, I wanted to. That's what I was going. Yeah. Let's let's take to the point of like you were talking about earlier. We had we had a conversation before this, and uh, we're talking about a lot of preachers today. Right. And they say every every time you sin, they say we we you have to repent that sin. You know, you right. smoke, you have to repent. You yes, smoke. You know, you know, you're a smoker. You're you're damaging the temple, right? Yeah. Quit, then repent and come back to God. I, I mean, I've heard that before. You're gonna repent over and over. How many times you're gonna kill Jesus? Yeah. Well, the worst part of that statement was there were two parts that were really bad about that statement. Yeah. First, quit. Okay. First, quit. First, do it yourself. Yeah. You couldn't have done anything yourself to begin with. Yeah. The whole message of look, God has wants the glory. Anything you do towards that glory takes away from his glory. Yeah. Understand the picture. Understand how it works. The more you do, the less glory there is for him. Which way do you think he wants it? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've heard it, you know, a lot of people wonder why, you know, Christians are early on in their growth process. They wonder why. Why do we all have these one or two things that we really struggle with? You know, more than anything else, we have these one or two things that really hit us. 
you know, Paul talks about that. He says, you know, if it wasn't for these weaknesses, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't need you wouldn't need Christ. Right. You know, it's those weaknesses that keep you humble. Yeah. You know, and it's not that you keep trying to live in, in those sins and keep trying to practice them, but until you die, you're never going to get away from those fleshly desires. Not that you should pursue them, like some Gnostic te- teachings, you know, right. pursue into that sin to try to get more grace. Right. That's not what you do, but you acknowledge that sin, you acknowledge that, that weakness, and that keeps you reliant, reliant on God. If you were out, you know, there's so many Christians out there trying to be perfect. Okay, and if you could be perfect, you wouldn't need Christ. Yeah. There would be no purpose for him to come here and get tortured and yeah. die as some sort of payment for sin, because yeah. you could do it. It's the same thing with repenting over and over again. Yeah. Are you repenting over and over again to rid yourself of all the little imperfections so that you can attain perfection one day? Yeah. You're trying to keep yourself perfect? So, Christ-like. So, you really don't think trampling the Son of God is in the words being Christ-like? Who are you ever to think that you're worthy enough to even come close to the Son of God? I mean, that's such an insane statement. What, what, that I can live like Christ. Who, who are you kidding? Once you've I mean, sinned. that's ridiculous. Once you've sinned, that's it. Yeah. Okay, one miss and that was it. But the other part is, we keep harping on this, but... You go back to being reformed. If you're trying to, that one or two cents that keeps hitting the flesh, well, are you reborn or not? If you, you, you need Jesus. To, yeah. You need to be reborn. And needing Jesus is understanding why he came and died. And what this, why, why did his sacrifice be a once and for all payment for sin? You have to understand that. Only then, after understanding, can you start to learn the process of the fire baptism, where the Holy Spirit, you become born again and live in spirit. These are all questions that you have to ask, but repenting over and over again as your personal goal, or someone told you that you can attain it, which you should question. Keep, keep trying. Yeah, keep trying, keep because trying. you know what? You're trampling on the Son of God. You are never going to be perfect. Yeah. You need Jesus Christ, and you need to accept why he sacrificed, and you sure as heck need the spirit to come into you to live in spirit. You're never going to do it. You can't do it, but let's let's say you could. Let's say you could live, you could could be Christ-like. You could live exactly like Christ, you live a perfect life, and Christ means nothing to you. You're you're trampling his, what he did, and his blood means nothing. You're treating it as an unholy thing. And if you're going to be so Christ-like, and it's, it's so crazy, if you could really be a worthy sacrifice, then why aren't these people being crucified? And why aren't these people resurrected? And why aren't these people ascending to heaven? I don't see it. So if you really want to be Christ-like, you better live the whole, the whole story. Okay? When he turns around and he says, your sins will be remembered no more, you turn around and you sin. You have sinned, and the only way for your sins to be remembered no more is to move from the living of the flesh to the living of the spirit. Because I tell you right now, that flesh has sinned. Right. I took away the sins of the world. I prepared a way for you to move from the flesh to the spirit. Many people never even look. Does, does death have a purpose? Yes, death has a purpose. The purpose of death is the disconnecting of the body so that the soul can go with the spirit off to heaven. 
until you start getting that point. Hey, the body's going to be around. It's going to get dirty. It's going to do all these things, but it's going to die. Okay? It's the spirit we're talking about. Has, has a person ever lost a hand? Okay? And lived? Yes. The body has parts that die and fall away, but that person's still there. Mm -hmm. That thing that is the person, that's the soul, and that's what, that's what all of this is about, is taking that essence of the soul and moving it forward. Mm -hmm. yeah, you, have, you have born again Christians so distracted by, you know, trying to live perfect, so caught up in sin, and God's like, I don't even remember it. He meant it. I'll remember it no more. Yeah. Why are you so caught up in being perfect and what you did yesterday and what you did five minutes ago? He doesn't re re remember. Stop dwelling in it. Yeah. Why, why are you doing that? You know, Die to the flesh. Let it go. You sin, move on. Yeah. That's not the spirit. That's, that's, that's the old you. It's not the new creature. Let it go. Yeah. People, people are still going to sin, but the only way you can keep from sinning is just to realize that, that the person that is you, it's going to sin. It's, it's been forgiven. The body that you have that did the sinning is going to perish. But the essence that is you is now in some other place. So what happens? Something goes wrong and you die. Well, your body was going to die anyway. Yeah. Okay? It's the spirit part that we want. Yeah. That's well, what the part Concentrate hey, on working towards that. But God, and one way of doing that is by being an expert in Scripture. I mean, I fully believe that. Know your Scriptures. Know the Word of God. Under, and, you know, there's other processes, too. Submitting, being born again, and allowing the Holy Spirit to come into you through the fire of baptism. No man can control that. You can't ask for it. You can pray for it. Hope. But it's not like anyone can command it, okay, tomorrow you're going to have the Holy Spirit in you. It doesn't work like that. Well, it is a free gift. I mean, if mm -hmm. you're open to it, I don't believe you're going to have to wait and wait and wait and wait for it. I mean, in most cases, I think it's, it's this is just my opinion, I think it's immediate. You know, I mean, it's a free gift. It's, the invitation is open all, all the time. It's not like you can't control it. It's going to go where it wants to, like the wind blows, you know, Jesus said. But... It's there. He's offering it to you every day. You know? To work for work for that instead of constant repentance. Like we said earlier, today. Yeah. Today accepted. Yeah. You know, I, I believe it's open to anybody today. Yeah. But you know, you could have been in church your whole life. That doesn't mean you have the spirit of God in you. Right. You know, you need to be led by the Spirit of God. If you listen to this right right now and that's where you are, today. Mm -hmm. It's open to you. You know? You know, if if you turn if you turn it's kinda like in the prodigal son story. The prodigal son went, he did all this stuff, he turned around, he went away. But he realizes that he's done wrong, and he starts back towards his father. But part of that story is, is once he starts back towards the father, he doesn't get to the father, he starts back towards the father, and the father then comes to meet him. Mm -hmm. You start towards God, he'll meet you. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. I'll tell you right now, he's a lot closer to you than what you think. But... <laughs> you're going to have to take a step forward. Yeah. And one of the points, the last points I have is verse 29 in the King James, the New King James versions of the Bible. It's a little bit mixed. I don't know if it's a translation, but it's, it's, it's confusing at some points. So we brought out, uh, it's very rare, I agree with it, but we brought out the NIV version, and I just wanted to read verse 29 on that. In NIV, 29 is worded, How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, 
who has treated it as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. So it puts that, the article, he, who is it talking about a person who does not believe in this, does not believe in this, uh, the blood of the covenant, who has trampled the Son of God, how much severely more do you think he'll be punished? NIVs are a little bit clearer on that than the King James and New King James. So, just to give you some variety there. And as he, as he's already said earlier in the book, it's, you know, it's a better covenant. How much right. better is our high priest? How much better is this covenant? So how much more are you going to be punished if you don't follow it? Verse 30, For we know him who said, quote, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, quote, The Lord will judge his people. And that is taken from Deuteronomy chapters, chapter 32, verses 35 and 36. Verse 31, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's a strong statement. You know, there's a couple things there. Mm -hmm. Vengeance is mine. Simply put, you're all sinners. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay? I'll settle it in the final score. Second part of that, the Lord will judge his people. All people go to the judgment. Some go for condemnation, and some go for reward. Mm -hmm. So there is a judgment. Mm -hmm. Here, I will judge my people. He'll also judge the people who are against his people. Mm -hmm. Remember, if you're in the family of God, mess with his people. Mm -hmm. Man, you have no idea what you're walking into. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He kind of takes his family personally, just so you know. Yeah. This kind of shows you, too, just even for personal application, because, I mean, this is taking place at certain times in, in history. Yeah, you know, do, does a Christian have any right to persecute an unbeliever? Yeah. None, none whatsoever. Right. He, he's going to judge that person. You know, Jesus said, I haven't come into the world to judge the world. Okay, he didn't come in, in, in the world to judge and, and, and condemn them when he came, what right do you have to condemn them right. in, 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 in this life? You know, they're going to get that later if they don't accept it, but... You know, there's a second part to that story, too, though. Does a non-believer, should he be, expect Christian behavior from a Christian? Can you slap him on the right? Can you slap him on the left? Don't think that either. Okay? Christians should be very respectful to other Christians. Okay? People who are enemies against the gospel, don't look for me to bow down to you. Yeah. Don't think so. Yeah. Okay? I'm born of spirit, but I still have that fleshly side. Slap me on the right. I'll knock you out. I'll straight up knock you out. Okay? And, and don't even think that that's a sin. Yeah. Don't even begin to go there. Well, it goes back to, like, what is slapping on the right? It's taking your right hand and backhanding someone on, on, on the right cheek. Yeah, because actually that means treating somebody in a servant's role. Yeah, people don't even understand, understand that, that verse, but it's completely different when you look at it in that context. Right. And, and being Irish, there's a second part to that story. Because when you slap them the second time, at that point you get knocked out because God only gave you instructions for what to do when you got slapped the first time. Yeah. second time you're wide open. You only so have, if you're not a Christian, don't even go there. You only have two, two, two cheeks. Yeah, it, is my, it is my little side comment on the, the media and how it views Christianity. 
you know, you have other judgmental people of various religions that just feast off of the failures of Christians, and the flesh sins, okay? They don't understand Christianity, and they're not one to judge. Mm -hmm. Do you think that a Christian is uh, more capable of pedophilia than a, than a Buddhist? I mean, you know what I mean? It's mankind we're talking about here. It's men's hearts. But Christians are got, have gotten such a black light that the minute they make a mistake, the world thinks that they should be living perfectly as Christ-like. Okay? And when that failure happens, which happens inevitably, which is going to happen because... Because God will never allow it to happen any other way. Exactly. It seems like it's magnified 20 times over and put in a limelight. See, Christianity's no good because look what this guy did. Yeah. You know, and then when I hear preachers preaching that message of Christ-like, you know, you have Thomas A. Kempis that wrote The Imitation of Christ. Mm -hmm. You've had these works for hundreds of years. You know, you're setting yourself up for failures, not living in the Spirit. Living in the Spirit is going to glorify God. You're not going to be glorified in a limelight of the media when you fail in your attempt to live perfectly. And, you know, and, yeah, and you're setting yourself up for persecution from non-believers. And Christians should make a stand on that too. That wait a minute, this is the gospel message, not this. We're not saying we accept Jesus Christ and we're being perfect. See, that, that, that's the message that's out there in the media, and it just brings a bad name to Christianity because it's not the gospel message. But I don't hear Christians except for us and other people that I know. We stand up for that, okay? Don't judge us. That's not the Christian message of what you're looking for there. See, that was the point of what I was saying. If you go back to what we said here, let me ask you this. If the Word of God is true, and what we told you here is true, then will the flesh judge the Spirit? Right. These non-believers are living in the flesh. Everybody does. But if a Christian becomes reborn and is living in the Spirit, I ask you again, will the flesh judge the spirit? Right. Will man judge God? Okay? Don't go there. Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah, don't go there with me. Right. Now, the next couple verses, uh, a couple points that I've got, but verses uh, 32 through 35 kind of go together, so I'll read those and we'll comment. So verse 32, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, Partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. So, on verses 31 through 35, there are two sides that I see again. Of course, to the early Christians, they were illuminated with the message of Jesus Christ and saw them. And there was a great struggle of sufferings. There was tremendous Christian persecution at that time. So, I believe these verses are definitely talking to those early Christians about what tribulations and trials they've gone through. However, these verses also ring true for the Christian today. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God because sin is exposed, your unworthiness is exposed, and the need of the Savior is exposed. I can understand the fear, especially if you haven't received the Spirit yet. 
it's it's troubling, you know. You've accepted the existence of hell, you've accepted the existence of heaven, you want heaven, but are not sure you attained that yet. That's the path of a beginning Christian. Also, there is Christian persecution today in the world. We know that to be a fact. The 20th century has been one of the worst centuries for Christian persecution. If you look at numbers, that's just, that's just fact. But for us today, living the life of faith, we endure great struggles with sufferings in our personal lives around us. We endure these tribulations. That's something that I've gone through in life. Well, you know, I heard... I was talking with some people the other day, and it almost shocked me to hear this, but I was talking with this person, and they told me that they thought God didn't love them anymore because of the persecutions that they were going through. Mm -hmm. And it shocked me because in my experience, those persecutions come when you turn towards God, when you go to do something that is of the Spirit. Okay? During this time of the water baptism, when you repent of sins, and before you get to this fire baptism where you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're turned around and you're in a world of deciding what, what is everything that's real. You're going to be attacked. Yeah. Okay? This is that parable of the seeds where Satan comes and things of the world come. You're, you're going to be tested. Right. Okay? This is your test. Are you really going to come or not? Okay? But after you become a Christian and you're filled with the Spirit, now, keep living towards the flesh, and you're probably not going to get attacked much. Yeah. Why? You're not doing anything. Right. I, I hope to know lady across the street. Nobody cares. Yeah. Satan doesn't even care. Yeah. Okay? If Satan doesn't care, then obviously you're not doing anything, you know, great or good. Right. Okay? Turn around and start doing things that are really for God, and you're going to get slammed. Yeah. Okay? Don't think you're not. It, it's just the way it is. And these are comforting, comforting verses coming up here for that uh, explanation we get, just gave. Verse 36, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Well, what you're going to receive that's promised is, one, you're going to receive heaven. Okay? But even before that, you're going to receive everything that you need here on the earth as well. You have the assurance that, one, one of two things are going to happen. You're going to live or you're going to die. Okay? You die, it's over. You won the race. You move on up to heaven. Right. Great. Okay? You live and you go through these trials. There's an Old Testament verse that I really love. Blessed men walk through valleys of trouble. Okay? But they fill those valleys with water. Okay? It doesn't mean you're not going to have trials. You're going to have trials, and walking with God through them, you're going to make that valley that those trials were in better. Mm -hmm. Those valleys are never going to get fixed until you walk through them. In verse 37 and 38, quote, For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. I guess we should go right into 39 with that because they tie together. 39, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition. Another word for perdition is destruction. Eternal destruction. But of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Notice here, they're not talking about saving the flesh. 
Hey, they're talking about saving the soul. It's the soul that moves on to the spirit. It's not the arm that got cut off. That's the flesh. It's it's what's inside of us. It's, it's who we really are. Right. Okay. That's what we're trying to save. That's what we're what's moving forward. The part that is the flesh. That's the part. The part that goes back to the law is the flesh. Going back to the law. Going back to the flesh. Drawing back is going. It's destined to go to hell. Yeah. It's it's saying it right here. But those who believe, those who believe are born again, their souls are transferred over to the spirit. That saves the soul. That saves who you are. And who are those people that are drawing back to destruction? Those, I could say, are not the ones of, of spirit. Could be new Christians that just are getting slammed too much. Or it seems to be too much work. That, you know, self, no one said salvation is easy. And no one says it should be granted to you automatically. And that's also why we're doing these podcasts, because these new Christians, they need to hear what's really going on. Some of these messages, you know, quit smoking, doing this, doing that, these are all fleshly things. You're setting these people up to fail and die. Yeah. Okay, you're, set, you're leaving them out in limbo, you're leaving them in the milk land too long, and you're leaving them exposed to Satan being able to get them. Right. Yeah, it's the people who don't, like in verse 36, it's the people who don't endure. They need, they need, need endurance. But those who don't endure, you know, who don't wait out that time period until they receive the Spirit, you know, you know, you're, you're just drawing back to destruction. You know, you're, you're, you've given up, you're letting Satan win. Yeah. And endurance is, a, is a, another odd word to use that has meaning to it. I mean, let's put it in a form of sports. You need endurance to be a good athlete. To go through the entire race. Right. Yeah, you can be fast, but if you have no endurance, you can't finish the race. And I know playing sports, I pray to God for endurance. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, it takes that extra little bit to get you to the end or to get you a win. It, it seems to come from an outside source. Same thing with us. We have to look at it the endurance. Sometimes we feel weak. We feel battered down. You know, we just got over a sickness. That endurance is given to us by the Spirit. It is there for our taking. It's there whenever we need it. Mm-hmm. And He'll give it to us. Well, he it's hard sometimes to, to know that because you, you might feel like giving up or just can't do it anymore or this is just too hard. I'm putting down the Bible. That endurance, the race will end at certain, some point. It's not a forever race. Well, this endurance, too, is a day-by-day thing. Exactly. you got to understand that if you can't handle the performance of next week, right? so what? Next week is you only have enough strength for it today. You only get enough strength for tomorrow's problems starting tomorrow. Right. You get enough strength for the next day starting that day. Right. Mm-hmm. Endurance is day-by-day. Yeah. Good point. There's another point, too, that uh, he makes here. He says, but we are not of those who draw back. But we are, those, we are part of those who... That's, that's my word. We, we are of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So, speaking to even the Christian today, we belong to, we are part of those that believing group, those who chose to believe Christ and reject Satan's word. You know, it, it's going back to the Garden of, of uh, Eden, you know. Are you going to believe God or are you going to believe, believe Satan? You can believe Christ and what he said, or you can say, no, it's a lie, and reject that knowledge of truth. But, you know, it all comes down, there's the, 
the act of faith, faith in, in action, but it starts with belief. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to believe Christ's message first. You know, later on, as you, as you go through these trials, there comes the uh, chance to act out that belief in faith. You know, that action, that belief being sustained by your confidence and acting that out. Mm-hmm. There's that step going through these, these trials, but, you know, what's going to test that, that belief are these trials. You know, are you going to endure in that belief? Or are you going to believe for a little while? Or are you going to receive that seed for a little while and then let it get choked out? Right. Uh, are you going to believe when the trials come? Exactly. Yeah. Are you just there for the for the good part? Or are you just there for the blessings? Or are you there for all of it? I mean, you know, if God's going to bless me, I'm going to have to take the, you know, the, the punishment that hits with it, too. You know, Satan's going to hit you, you know. And you have, you have to take the good good with the bad. Satan's only going to hit you if you're doing it right. Yeah. You know, if you're not if you're not getting hit, I, I'd be worried. Yeah. Well, here in ends chapter ten of Hebrews. In next podcast, we will be on this chapter eleven. If you have any questions, feel free to submit them to BibleTruthOnline.com, and we appreciate your time today.